If this is anything but your first time tuning into the podcast, then you probably already know by now that I love a good story. And if this is your first time tuning into the podcast, well, guess what? You're already up to speed on things around here. I do love storytelling. I teach storytelling. I facilitate storytelling. I appreciate storytelling. And when someone else comes across my radar that loves storytelling and teaches storytelling with that same passion and fervor, well, I mean, I can promise you that we're sure to be great friends. I don't even remember exactly how Marie Moss came into my world. I just remember her reaching out to me and inviting me onto her podcast called Dangerously Good Stories. I mean, with a name like that, I was an immediate yes. We also discovered that she had moved to Traveler's Rest, South Carolina, the same year I had moved away from that area to move back to Texas. Come to find out, she moved less than a half a mile from where I used to live. We are, should have been, neighbors. Marie started out her storytelling career teaching photographers specifically how to document their lives, and now she teaches all kinds of people and brands how to go rogue by putting their expertise on the shelf and just forging meaningful connections instead by sharing their personal stories. I absolutely love following and being connected with Marie. And boy, oh boy, did I love this conversation when I invited her onto the show to talk about, you guessed it, storytelling. I think it's important to share different perspectives and teachings because while I do consider myself a story expert, by no means do I know it all. In fact, a really good storyteller is always in a space of learning and leaning in to glean more wisdom from others. So that's what we're going to do today on the Inside Story podcast. That's what we're going to do today on the show. We're going to go tell some dangerously good stories with Marie Moss. Hi, I'm April Adams for Twee. I'm your host of the Inside Story podcast. I've been telling people stories my entire adult life as a broadcast journalist, video producer, and digital storyteller. These days, you can find me at Light Beamers, where I'm building a community of women who are ready to step into their brave by sharing their story with the world. On the Inside Story podcast, I'm bringing you some of the best stories I'm discovering from both the women inside of my community, as well as from around the streets of the internet. Plus, I'm digging deep to share some of my own stories with you along the way. My hope is that these stories will help encourage you to examine your own story so that you can share it with other people. I have a motto at Light Beamers. When we share our stories, we shine a light. So with that in mind, let's get down to business today and share the light found in this episode. Welcome, everybody, to the Inside Story Podcast. I'm so excited you're here. I'm your host, April Adams Pertwee, and I have with me a special guest today because anytime I get to talk to another storyteller, I am like, sign me up. I'm so excited. And that's exactly what we're doing today with my guest, Marie Moss of Dangerously Good Stories. Welcome, my friend. I'm so excited to do this with you today. Oh, thank you so much freaking much. I'm just 
honored to be here because I, I think everybody says that when they get onto a podcast. I'm so excited. I'm so honored to be here. But I look at you and you are like the original light beamer and just what your background is with your journalism and reporting and, you know, getting into all of people's hard stories and turning it into like how you are helping people use their story to shine light for others. Just it like gives me chills. I'm so excited. <laughs> I know. Well, I, I could say the same about you, you know, I, I uh, love what you're doing and love the background, you know, that you have in photography and how you also are teaching people to capture their stories, um, both through the lens of a camera and also just documentation. I know you're really big, big into documentation of stories. And so, yeah, let's just start there. That's, that's a good place to start. Um, so t talk a little bit about that because we do, we, we love storytelling and we're both doing this work of trying to get more people to appreciate their story, right? Really understand the value of their own stories. And we do it from a different lens because like I said, I, you, you mentioned it, I've come from a different background than what you come from. But at the same day, at the same time, we're really trying to get to the same place. So talk a little bit more about your background as a photographer. And I'd love to know, um, when did you realize storytelling was such a big piece of your work? Oh, I love that question. Okay. So my daughter was born Halloween night, 2011. And prior to her birth, a friend casually mentioned doing a photo project. I had been following a father-son team in Michigan who every day for the entire year of 2010 were photographing the wildlife and nature in Michigan. And then they'd post a picture a day on their Facebook page and I, I thought that was so neat. And she was like, you should do that with your daughter. Make a picture a day for the first year of her life. And so it was such a casual thing. I had zero photography background. I only had a semi-decent DSLR camera because I didn't have a wedding photographer and was bitter about that. But it, it wasn't at all a professional level. It was a complete, you know, I was using the auto button. There was no skill. And at first, you can tell when you look in my early photos. But then as I started to grow, I, I like to say I documented myself awake because I, I wasn't just taking pictures. I started to look for a tiny story every day to record of our present life, of her life, of, of her growing. It was, I think, not even a year later that I was like, oh, this is really fun. So I recruited a couple of family friends to take them to beautiful parks in the area and do family portraits. One thing led to another and boom, I'm a photographer, a family photographer. And I hated it because I would show up at these beautiful parks and I'd sit in my car looking on Pinterest for posing ideas. And I was a nervous wreck that these people were going to hate their pictures because I didn't really know how to pose people. And, and then I, back then it was really big to like pull from Etsy and Pinterest. And like, I remember making this super cheesy sign that said, this is our happily ever after in a frame. And then I placed that inside of this family that was posing on a pretty dock with a sunset behind them. And I'm like, I, I just, I didn't love it, but that was what I thought photography had to be. So when you become a photographer, especially back then, 2012, you open a, like a Facebook business page. 
So I'm sharing my client work and also I'm sharing the photos of my daughter. And people kept commenting on, I love how real life your photos are. So people were really mirroring back the work that I was intuitively doing. But there was this disconnection then, of course, when people handed me the money and then I was like then putting my professional photographer hat on. And long story short, I ended up going for this documenting side. And I was like, I wonder if I can help people record a meaningful part of their life where it's not this manufactured moment. It's not like they're acting, but I'm showing up while they're doing something that's meaningful to them that they've already said in their heart, like this matters to to us. Maybe it's a Friday night pizza and campfire and whatever they do, have a guitar that they play around the fire or whatever, instead of going to the beautiful locations in the area. And after that, photographers were like, I want to know how you shoot in the way that you shoot. So originally, I opened up a brand called Fearless and Framed, which helped mainly portrait photographers transition into documentary photography, um, doing that with their clients and even with their own lives. Some people were even completely dismissing their own lives and not even recording their own lives like I was. But I remember the the one of the most pivotal moments in my uh, in noticing the the magic behind stories or the like the power behind them was I, I can't remember exactly what year it was, but there was another photographer who wanted to do a personal project recording the lives of Alzheimer's caregivers because that's a huge undertaking. And when I knew that she was looking for people, um, she is in in a whole different country. So I wasn't able to like show up and really help her, but I was like, I'll share my story. And I started to send her a private message telling her about my time with my grandma. My grandpa passed away. Eight weeks later, my grandma passed away. So this was a very short window of time where she needed somebody to watch her. And that was me a few times. I would sit with her and she would tell me stories about her life. I remember that, but I don't remember other than one tiny little story. I don't remember what else she said. It's all foggy now. And then even just trying to describe what those eight weeks were like to this other photographer, I was like really second guessing, like, wait, did this happen or did this happen first? Because at that point it had been several years and it was so fuzzy in my brain. And it was such a meaningful time because it was such a one-on-one powerful connection with my grandma that I'm like, I feel like I wasn't even awake for that. So now like I feel like this, I, I say I documented myself awake because I believe that documenting isn't just like the the benefit isn't the photograph or the the page with your handwriting of a story or whatever format you're documenting is when you document you it's like you're training those neural pathways in your brain that you're saying this matters it's it's you know lighting up that reward center in your brain so then when you're just in your day to day you're noticing more of that stuff absolutely so i feel like i'm on fire noticing these tiny tiny little stories that other people are just they're completely present but they're not to that, like, I would say like a higher level of consciousness as new age as that sounds, <laughs> but, but it's true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I so agree with you because that's what I, I say this all the time too, you know, that storytelling really 
allows you and enforces you really to be more, as you say, consciously aware. And it allows you to have a heightened sense of awareness because those who are really good storytellers are super aware because otherwise you're just going through your day to day and you're missing all the stories that are all around you everywhere, you know? And, and so it is about being aware you have to first know you you're looking for a story. You have to first know, like, I'm going to be intentional today about seeing what comes up. So whether it's through a photographer's lens or a, a writer's lens or, you know, someone that's journaling, documenting it, however you may do it, um, either way, it's it's saying to yourself, let me see what I can find today or let me see what I can notice. Let me see what I can witness. And when you start your day like that, you are, you're never going to run out of stories to tell, right? Like you're never going to run out. And to your point, the documentation side of it, you don't get, you know, two years, three years, four years down the road after someone you love so much passed away without remembering those details because you documented it. And I I very much relate to that because, you know, um, I lost my dad last year and I cared for him leading up to his his death. And I, of course, knew that I needed to be documenting as much as I could, uh, writing the stories. And I did write a lot of stories in my journal. Um, I didn't write near as many as I wish I had. Because some days when you're doing the caretaking, and quite honestly, it's, it's, it's not, it's a very difficult position to be in. You're not always, it's not that I didn't notice the stories, but Sometimes it was exhausting or painful to regurgitate it into my journal. Mm-hmm. However, I will say the ones that I saved and the ones that I did document and the ones that I, you know, have with me now, I cherish, you know, I cherish. There's a, there's a particular story that I remember and I have in my journal and that I've reread many times because it just takes me back to that moment, me shaving his, his head when he, cause he had cancer and so he's like, all right, April, let's go out into the garage and, you know, here's my clippers. Let's just go ahead and, and get this hair off. He didn't really lose a lot of hair, but it got real patchy. So we just cut it off, you know, and I, I can just remember, you know, some pretty intense details and feelings that I was having about that, um, about how he needed me to do that work for him and, or, you know, do that job for him of shaving his head. Um, and I have that story and it's a story that I don't know that I'll ever really share publicly. Cause it was pretty, I had a lot of um, just a lot of intense feelings about our relationship and what that looked like over the years. And, you know, and um, but I have that for me, you know, I have that story for me. And that's really what it's about is some of these stories that you document or that you become aware of throughout your day, they can be things that you just cherish, whether you ever share that photo or share that story is irrelevant. It's about creating the awareness so that you can capture it and harness the beauty of that story. I don't know who originally said it, or I would give them credit, but somebody had made a quote. I've seen it circled on circulating on the internet often about how photos, but I think it applies to journaling, really any kind of documentation and how it's a return ticket to a moment otherwise gone. I love that one. For me, that's what it's really been about is I I have so many stories from my childhood that were wonderful. 
And a lot of those people are, have passed away or really when my grandparents on both sides passed away, then like my dad and his brothers and my mom and her siblings, like we didn't see as much of them as we did when my grandparents were alive. So this very vibrant, loud, full of family childhood that I have in my head is very, it's a stark contrast from the time I was a young adult till now. And I miss a lot of that. So for me, a lot of this stuff has just been a way to just feel connected to a part of my life that I'm essentially grieving in the background. Like it's not like a dark cloud over my days or anything anymore. But, but yeah, it's, it's, to me, it's like, I feel like some of my old stories, I was like the one with my grandma. I was just living through it. I wasn't really aware of how the magnitude of that short period I just lived through it. And now I look back and I'm like, man, I wish I would have paid more attention and remembered more about what she said. And so I feel like this helps me live awake for my life. And a lot of people are like, at the end of their life, they want to feel like they lived a full life. And I'm like, I want to know that for the life that I lived, I was awake for it. I didn't sleepwalk through it because I was, you know, thinking of a dozen other things. So good. So good. And so obviously I know that this has really shaped the work that you do today um, in really teaching other people how to document and how to find these stories. And you, you have a particular interest in these tiny stories and you call them tiny stories. Can you talk about tiny stories and what it is you share with your clients and your students on how to find these tiny stories? Oh man, how long do we have? (laughs) Um, Yeah, actually just, and I know this will go out long after this first one goes out, but I'm sure there will be more. But I actually just created something called A Thousand Stories in Five Days, where I'm walking people through over the course of five days, a bunch of different prompts. And I started doing this myself and it was just insane how fast the stories were coming out. And for me, it's like, there are so many different exercises. And one that I really like to do is doing a timeline of like your early recollection, like early recollection memories. Um, There could be, I like, like looking through all the different areas of your life. Um, You've got your core family, the nuclear family that you grew up with and your extended family, your neighborhood, your community, your home. Maybe you have stories at your best friend's house that you grew up with. I used to go to her house and we would walk the neighborhood and sweep driveways. So it's really like kind of first, I think, getting a lay of the land of all the different areas of your life and then kind of like just going through that. So on my little tiny story list here, for example, there could be a lot of stories that they, you might like write it down and think, this is just like a tiny little detail. Um, so it's like one suggestion I have is don't prejudge like the things that are coming up because you, you just, once you dig into it a little bit more, you might find a story. So for example, um, when I think of my Papa Stan Um, one of the things that comes to mind was he used to bring over bunches of, he, we just called them fruit roll-ups, but they were fruit leather, the dehydrated applesauce. And then he rolled it up and he had flavored it. And, and at first I was like, okay, that happened, but there wasn't, it didn't really seem meaningful. And it didn't really seem like a story that I could really share. And 
I, it was just something that was just on the list. And then as I dug into it a little bit more and thought about it, like, I remember like he just used to think he was like just the best person ever because he's bringing us this treat and he'd be like, look what I've got for you. Like he was just so excited about it. And so then it just, as an adult looking back, it just, it taught me that that was an act of love. That was one way that grandparents show love to their grandchildren. And I, I, it actually has inspired me. I bought an air fryer that has a dehydrator built into it. I'm going to make them for my kids now. And it was because of that old story that seemed like nothing on my little list. And so that's, I mean, I, you go through, so the list is literally a list. And I, I like to be clear on that when I tell people about this story list. You're not writing these stories out. It's just like, like I have rollerblading in the basement, Paint Creek Trail, um, exploring behind the house, ticks, pine trees. And every single one of those words, I can tell you a full, very small story. And then I think what where a lot of people miss, like what you can do with these is they they have these down and they focus on the what happened and this like the the secret sauce is when you focus change the what happened well i think you got to dig into the what happened but then you have to follow up with how did this change me how did this have an impact on my life and that's where you're like oh my gosh this is a life lesson i could share with others or this is something that i want to revive in my life like the fruit leather roll ups my kids are going to love them. They love fruit snacks and all this stuff and they just have no idea. So um, another story, I think I may have shared this with you, April, before was I on when I was a newborn 10 and 20, my family in Michigan drove 10 or five hours south to my aunt's house in Ohio. And it was on Christmas Eve. We didn't tell them we were coming. And I mean, who does that anymore? Usually you're like texting everybody. Are you home? And you know, like there's, it's just kind of, it seems like people just don't just show up like they used to. But we did that on three occasions on Christmas Eve. And my aunt and uncle opened the door like, oh, my gosh, hi. And it was so fun as a kid to do that. That popped into my head in March of 2019, I think it was. And I thought, oh, that would be so fun to go surprise somebody again. And oh, man, the kids, they would love to plot something like that. And and oh, I want to add that fun to my life of doing this to somebody. So a couple of weeks later on a random Wednesday in the late winter of the Midwest, the kids and I got up at like 4 a.m. and drove 12 hours north to my parents' house. And we got there about 5 p.m. And they're like, what? <laughs> it was so awesome. And I have, I recorded a video yeah, I recorded a video of the kids getting out of the car and they've got like their hands over their face, like trying not to laugh out loud. And they were so giddy and it was just the most precious thing. And But it was because of, I love your word, excavating those old stories. Excavating that story reminded you of how, how wonderful that was. And so you got to recreate it again and again. And you have that opportunity anytime because you have that documented on your list. And as a business owner, people love when I share stories, when I do these meaningful things like this, because in fact, one, somebody reflected that one person has said this to me and it was like the highest praise I've ever received that you make me want to be a better person. Like, in, you know, instead of just like going through your usual to-do list, they started to see like how they wanted to create a more quality, meaningful to-do list. And I loved that so much. I love that. I have to share with you because now your story has prompted a story in me. 
that we did that very same thing of surprising somebody. And this was back when uh, I lived in your neck of the woods, which, uh, fun fact, Marie now lives literally in my backyard, basically from where I moved from in South Carolina. But I moved in 2017, and I think you guys arrived shortly after that. Same year, right? So I moved in June of 2017 back to Texas, which is where I live now. And Marie moved like a mile from where I used to live. And so she lives in the place where I love so much. But anyway, I digress. We were still living in South Carolina and all of our family is in Texas. And we surprised my mom on Thanksgiving Day because you know, here we are in South Carolina living a thousand miles away. And we, we kind of had a pattern of like, well, if we come home Thanksgiving, we won't come home Christmas. And so this was a year that we were supposed to be there for Christmas, not Thanksgiving. And so she was not expecting us. And it's always hard, you know, because we do get together a lot as fam- as the family. And so anytime one of us was missing my mom, you know, that made her sad. And so um, we decided to to fly home and surprise her that day on Thanksgiving day. So we literally got up at four o'clock in the morning and our kids were little, but they were, they were old enough that they still remember it. And they were so excited about the plan um, that they jumped out of bed at four o'clock in the morning. And we went to the airport, got on the plane, you know, flew to Texas, landed, rented a car. I mean, all the things we had, all of it mapped out so that we could get there before they were going to serve lunch, you know, and have Thanksgiving dinner. And the only person that knew about it was my sister who was there at the house because I needed somebody to be able to communicate like timing with and everything, but walking in and we actually did photograph these moments. So I do have the documentation of that moment of opening the door. We rang the doorbell, you know, she's like, who's at the door? And, um, and, uh, you know, and that was just such a cool, cool moment. So your story, um, definitely prompted that, you know, that recollection of mine. And it is such a good thing to think about, like how these things, these memories in our lives, why don't I go do that again? Like I need to go find somebody else to surprise because you're absolutely right. We live in a world now where we don't do that. We don't, we don't, um, surprise people. We don't do that. Like, Hey, knock on the door. Guess who's here? You know, just was in the neighborhood. So um, yeah, so, so, so fun. Uh, Yeah. I just love that so much. I love how these stories can prompt us to think about really fond memories and exciting experiences that we can then go and choose to relive or redocument in another way. So I love that. So your list of tiny stories is really just about getting people to just, just, just to write it down and not really disqualify it. Like, oh, this isn't really a good story, right? Just document it by writing it down and then let it sit and marinate. It's kind of like what you were saying you did about, you know, the, the, the fruit roll-ups like, oh, that's not really an interesting story. But then the more you thought about it, the more it marinated, the story sort of bubbled up to the surface. And now that's, a story that you can go use and also relive, right? There's this a man named David Wagner and he coined the term a daymaker. And so I love that term now. I feel like some of these old stories give you a way to make someone else's day. And especially when it's someone else, 
you know, there's all these random acts of kindness and paying for the person behind you at Starbucks. Well, what about the very people in your life? When was the last time that you were like, you know, you matter because and really make them feel seen and valued. And so, I mean, you know, the surprise was one thing. Another thing was uh, when my sister, my sister came and visited last night from Michigan and I was so excited. She's nursing. Um, so I wasn't able to like take the baby for the night because I was all about like, you guys could sleep and I'll just watch this newborn baby all night long. Um, but since she's nursing, that wasn't really happening. But when I had my second, I didn't have anybody offer that for me. And I had had a really hard pregnancy. I had a hysterectomy during this and I had a toddler at home and Dave went right back to work and my mom stayed but she didn't ever like get up in the night and help with anything really. So my, a few months in, um, Levi had a lot of problems and we switched him to the, the Nutramagen formula. So he wasn't nursed anymore. So I had a friend and her mom that had come over from Canada. So we were in Michigan at the time and spent the night and they were like, just sleep all night. We'll get up when he cries, we'll take care of him. And so when my sister came last night, that just, it just reminded me like completely random. So yeah. And so my sister's been here and now I'm on this, but within the next day, I'm going to record a little video and just say that mattered so much as uh, I'm getting like a little bit teary eyed thinking about it. Like, I think, I don't know, as, as a newer mom back then, there was a layer of like, amazingness with when you're becoming a mom, but it's like, you still want to be sort of taken care of by your own mom or just feel like you're being taken care of. And I, I don't know, it sounds like just so weird, but it was just, it meant so much that someone offered to let me sleep through the night. And so now I'm going to just, it's going to become completely out of the blue to them, but it'll just be like a little clip and say, you know, that just popped up. And I just wanted to let you know, like that, that really meant so much to me. Um, and you matter. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. And of course, I'm sure some people have relationships with people where they'll be like, think, okay, thanks. Like that's random. But especially with this particular friendship, I know that they are going to be, they're going to feel like they matter because I'm like saying, Hey, you know, that thing you did that really mattered to me. Thank you. Cause we always want to know how we impact other people. I love that. And I think that that will absolutely make a big impact with them. And how many years ago was that? Right. Yeah. Levi's seven and a half now. So seven years ago, more than. So seven years later, this little story bubbles back up again and you, you find a way to communicate to that, to, to those people that thank you for doing that for me seven years ago. I'm still thinking about it and it still warms my heart. I mean, I love that. Yeah. And it didn't, I wasn't able to do that for my sister, but probably because they did that for me and it's so ingrained that it made me think of how I can be of service to my sister. If, you know, if she were, you know, maybe in a few months or whatever, if she doesn't have to get up and pump in the night if, and that, I think I really, really love that it helped me. I have a value around hospitality when people come over. Like I, 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 it is that has stories behind it. That was like just another little seed in my like bank of ways to be hospitable that that stuck with me because of something that they did. Um, but that just leads me back to into the prompts and stuff like that's another thing. If there's 
um, something that you really value, like hospitality or kindness, or like I love when when I had I had surgery and the person who babysat my kids, which I actually didn't hadn't even met her before she watched them during the surgery. She texted me a few days later just to see how things were going. And I thought it was like basically a transaction and I was never going to speak to her again. And I was like, wow, that was crazy kind. So little values that you have and even things that really trigger you. Those are fun. You can always find stories in there. And that's, yeah, it's just like, I have this, I call it the tiny story list and what it really is. And I mean, I wish that they could see, but I have just lists of random areas of my life and little things. And I could, I could talk a half hour on all this stuff, you know, it's, it's incredible. Well, you know, one of the things that um, I'm always talking about with my audience is like, you know, what to do with these stories. Like, and you're giving some really good ideas because it's, it's, it's sometimes being able to say thank you um, or call somebody up or reenact something for your kids now or for the life that you're living now, because it might have been something that was from 30 years ago. Um, or you may not be able to call those people up because they may no longer be with you, but you can invoke you know, their spirit by going and like you said, making the dried fruit roll-ups with your kids now is going to help you kind of relive that story. It, there's so many ways that you can use stories. Obviously, you know, I love being able to share stories as a way to just connect with people. Like sharing my own stories allows me, well, I think it allows the audience in general to to see us more as human beings versus robots or businesses or brands or, you know, labels like, a job title, exactly, labels, you know, and so I always feel like using that story could open up conversation and connection and, you know, just all of those things. And so I love that you're giving these ideas about not of just documenting the, 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 the memories, if you will, these stories that you have that are all, they're all around you either in your past experiences or in your day-to-day life that you come across things and then figure out later, like where, how could you use that? Like you said, the, the two questions that you could ask yourself is like, well, what happened? And then what did I learn from it? You know, how did this impact me? I think that question alone is one that will help people really understand then how you could use that story. Exactly. It gives you direction. Yeah, it gives you direction. So good. That's how I moved down here to South Carolina from all these stories made me see when I was the most happiest. And it it was like little breadcrumbs that led us to living. Um, for those of you who don't know, I lived on two acres in the middle of farmland in Michigan. And now we are on 10 acres on a mountain in South Carolina. Um, we moved 12 hours south really to chase a lifestyle that we wanted. We didn't come down here for a job or to necessarily get away from family or like there wasn't any one big thing, but other than we just kind of like wiped the canvas clean. And if like, if we wanted to really live a life that made us both feel like we are thriving, what does that look like? And, and that was really from digging into our own stories. Man, I love that. And, you know, I think a lot of people are doing that right now. Like, look at what's happening since this pandemic. I mean, first of all, the housing market, I know it is in Texas and I know it is in South Carolina, too. 
is going nuts because people are doing that. They're looking at their lives a little bit more intentionally, thank God. And we're asking ourselves, where do we really want to spend our days and how do we want to spend it? Because I think we all really understand now that <laughs> days are limited. Um, we do, they do have an expiration date. The fact that you did that and that you did that from really evaluating it, it didn't take a pandemic for you to do that. You did that because of you just documenting your stories. And I know that, um, you know, you, you have, you, you, you shared with me like this whole Moss Mountain philosophy, like how it's really changed how you live your life. Let's talk a little bit more about that because um, what is the Moss Mountain lifestyle that you're living? My last name is Moss. We live on a mountain. And that was actually, my mom said it when she visited the house, like, I'm going to visit Moss Mountain. And it stuck with me. And one day I was sitting in the driveway working and looked around and there's the little green anole lizards running around. Don't have those in Michigan. And I am in the forest, which is a really meaningful place for me because my parents have a family cabin that I basically grew up in, in Northern Michigan. So if, you know, especially like over farmland, which is all open skies, like I just, I feel at home in the forest, in the woods. And I just, it was like a moment of consciousness where I was like, oh my gosh, I, I love it here. I love it here on Moss Mountain. And it was a feeling more than it was the literal place. So every like decisions moving forward and it's, and it's more so me than it is Dave and I together. Dave is, he's so sweet. He's just like, I'm just happy if I'm making you guys happy. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's more so me that's like crafting and shaping our lives. But it, it became like any decision that I was making, I'd run it through this Moss Mountain filter. Like, is this going to add to Moss Mountain? Sometimes, of course, I've got to dip my toes in and try. I don't, I can't prejudge everything, but I can, it's, it's a way for me to set better boundaries that are more true to who I am. And there's a couple, every listener has heard of Liz Gilbert and Eat, Pray, Love or Gretchen Rubin and Happiness Project. And I actually pulled out a couple quotes because I think it kind of just really highlights how looking into your stories is different. But I read The Happiness Project in, I think it was 2016. And she writes, I had everything I could possibly want, yet I was failing to appreciate it. Bogged down in petty complaints and passing crises, weary of struggling with my own nature, I too often failed to comprehend the splendor of what I had. That resonated with me and was like, oh, well, yes, I'm starting a happiness project. <laughs> so if you're not familiar with the happiness project, essentially what Gretchen did was she picked 12 different areas. I actually think it was 11. And then the, the 12th was like trying to add them all together. So every month she focused on a different area of her life. January was around boosting energy. February was around remembering love. So she had these like very like what was her like priority to-do list. The the tagline of her book is, so it's the happiness project or why I spent a year trying to sing in the morning, clean my closets, fight right, read Aristotle and generally have more fun. When I read this book, I started to look at my marriage, parenting, being a daughter, being a sister, being a friend, my house. And so I'd have this list of all these different areas of my life. And I would write a line of like where I want to be. 
and one thing I could do to take a step in the right direction. And at first I was like, oh, this is amazing. Now I'm going to be like on top of my life. I'm going to live the happiest life ever. But then it just became like all I, I started to see through this lens of, well, I'm not there yet. <laughs> and it was like all of a sudden I could just see all these things to fix or improve. Even if things are great, I'm like, oh, well, I can make it even better instead of just appreciating like right where I was at. Similarly, Eat, Pray, Love, Liz Gilbert, she wrote in that book, I had actively participated in every moment of the creation of this life. So why didn't I see myself in any of it? And back then in 2016, when I was living in our 3,200 square foot house that had this addition with windows that everybody envied because they were floor to cathedral ceiling. I had a, a loft office that overlooked those windows. I mean, the house was like really one that a lot of people wanted to have. It had a huge, huge porch, like a Southern huge porch up in Michigan. And I, I had these two healthy, beautiful kids. I was working on creative work that I loved. And I'm like, why do I still feel restless? And it's just, I don't know. There was just something about it that just, I wasn't appreciating. I mean, I was, if you were to ask me, I'd be defensive. I'd be like, well, yeah, I appreciated my life, but I didn't feel like I was thriving like I am today. It was a very like subtle thing below the surface. Like this is not the right life for you. It was like digging into my stories. And so I look at Gretchen as someone who started to like, see these problem areas and then add things to her life to fix and improve them, which of course, sometimes you do have to do that. Liz Gilbert, she took off and went to Italy, Indonesia, and Bali. Well, I'm not about to do that. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so for me, it was like with these tiny stories, I wrote down like Uncle Steve's house and the apple trees and the cabin. And I started to turn inward and look at the happiest times in my life and then start to like create from there. Whereas when I had landed in that beautiful 3,200 square foot house, it was like I was checking the boxes on the, the young early 20 something Marie thought that you had to do. Once you get married, you have a family, you buy the dream forever home. And it was like, done, done, done. What's next? Overachiever. <laughs> yeah. And, and it was that I just was checking boxes of what I thought I was supposed to do next. And even though, of course, I loved the house for the most part, but it was missing those elements that were meaningful. And I think that's what ends up missing is the things that are really meaningful from our lives. And we just, I don't know, but that, so that's how Moss Mountain came to be. And I, like, I teach other people how to create their own Moss Mountain. I, I call it a life brand, really the Moss Mountain is my life brand. And just like if you think of a branding design packet from a, um, a brand designer, you know, they, they hand you over this PDF that has colors and it has like your mission statement and these like words that are like part of your brand and all these tiny little elements, you can create a life brand that's just as similar. Um, and it's not to say it's kind of like, like the Enneagram where you fall into like one or two categories, but really you do have traits of all nine of the Enneagram categories. Um, it's, it's really similar to that in that, you know, it's because I think some people feel like, well, if I'm saying that I really like the color green, that I am like boxing myself in and maybe, maybe on a car, I, I don't like green or, or whatever. 
but when, so it's like, it's a way to, you can still evolve. So even though I've made like this Moss Mountain life brand thing, it's still going to evolve with the experiences that I had. It's not something that's like, okay, this is the box that I, if it doesn't fit in this box, I'm, this is not the decision for me. It's, it's definitely not that, but it's, it's still a filter that helps me I would say live a self-directed life. And I feel like I'm so much more, I, I have a lot more self-trust in me than, than maybe other people do because of this knowledge, the self-awareness that I have, even as, as a younger entrepreneur, like, and I don't mean my age, but I mean like the, the newness of my business, I always had coaches in my corner. It was like, if I, you know, my package would be up, I have to get another coach because I couldn't, I couldn't not have their outside voices telling me what to do. So this was a way in my own life to like live without the coaches, without the, all the, maybe I should talk to this friend and get their opinion. Like I can just figure things out on, on my own for the most part. I mean, we all need help, but. Oh, I love that though. I think that's, you know, and I mean, I, I, I think that's so brilliant because it's really tapping into your inner voice and living into your own alignment of who, of who you really are and what really, 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 really lights your soul on fire. And it wasn't the 3,200 square foot house that had beautiful windows, you know, like that wasn't it. And so being okay with saying, you know, check the box, been there, done that, but now I'm really going to go live into the truth of who I am which now you get to live on Moss Mountain in your, in your, I know that I'm looking at you on camera and people, you know, can't see what I'm looking at, but you've built this really cool cabin where you, you have your office and, you know, I'm looking at you on camera and I see all the trees around you uh, with the windows out, you know, on your cabin and it's, it's perfect just for you, right? It's exactly what you, how you want to be spending your days, you know? And then doing this work around the creativity and the storytelling, like how perfect is that, you know, and then going outside and looking for lizards that will help you tell another story down the road, you know, so, and you do, this is one of the things that I love about Marie, you guys, is that if you follow her on Instagram, which I'm going to get you to do, because I'm going to link up her, her handle, you know, she's always sharing just like fun things that they're doing on Moss Mountain and she's documenting those stories, you know, that's part of sharing your story outwardly for other people is that you're, you're letting them in on who you really are and what really matters to you. You've had a big change in your life, which we won't go into on this episode, but around unschooling your children, you know, you are, you know, that's a whole nother story of yours. That's a pretty big story that I know about because of how you've shared that story openly on your channels. Um, we will have to do another podcast episode about that because that's a pretty, another really fascinating topic uh, that I know is a big passion of yours, but that's really what it's about, right? It's about living into our truth and our stories are indicators in the breadcrumbs that we need to be following to do that, to really live into our truth and own our story, not be apologetic around it, not looking for outward uh, validation and for those coaches voices and other people to say, you know, what they think it's about us living into really tuning inward and paying attention to what we want and paying attention to those stories along the way that have been flashlights, you know, flashlights in the journey. And I have to add real quick, because I know some of your listeners are like, well, that's great. She's had a lot of good things happen in her life. 
what about me who I've had a lot of adversity and I don't have the rosy childhood and you have really hard stories. So I want those listeners to know that this is, this is for you too. And just super quick away, like this could be a whole other episode because this, this is something I end up talking about a lot with the people that I work with um, because this, this process really can help you heal or at least start the healing process. Small example, when I was in high school, I became very best friends with this girl, Alicia. And her and I did cheerleading together, driver's ed together. We had our sweet 16 birthday parties together. I mean, we were inseparable. People always asked if we were sisters. And then in our last year of high school, I started going on, um, instead of riding the bus to school because I didn't have my license yet, I was riding with a girl who was on our cheerleading team and also lived in our neighborhood. And Alicia at the same time started hanging out with some other people and she'd kind of tease me a little bit like, oh, are you going home with your new best friend now? And that really kind of hurt. And I'm like, yeah, are you spending the weekend with your new best friends? And, and anyway, it kind of escalated. And by the end of that school year, we weren't really talking. And even at the, there was a, a 7-Eleven gas station that we ran into each other a couple months after graduation. She was with another girl that I graduated with. And I was like, oh, hi. And like hugged that person, but I it was like I looked right through Alicia. I was so I was such a mean and dumb 17-year-old to where I just ignored her. And at the just I think it was January 4th, the after you know, that was July when we ran into each other and we never talked again. And she died six like not even six months later. And she had um it was it was like a, a complication from diabetes where she passed out, she hit her head and didn't breathe before the ambulance got here and all this stuff. I think in the back of my head, I was always like, well, I'll see her again and we'll be fine. And it, but that never happened. And when I remember at her, at her funeral, I put a letter in her casket that I, I'd like to think she was buried with, who knows for sure, but um, where I apologized for all of that. But still today, sometimes that story comes up where I was like, like, I just, I hate the person that I was at that gas station. I was like, oh, that was so mean. And sometimes that still comes up. And I, even in this way of like, even though I had like apologized in this letter and like, I'd like to think that she would have forgiven me and, and all of that, just this last year, all those feelings were like coming back up where I really like missed her in that friendship. I wrote her another letter again. And of course, like it didn't necessarily make any real change, but it got all it let it released those feelings that I had been carrying with me. And that was just cathartic and gave me a little bit of peace. I mean, because what more can you really do? So sometimes there's there's a lot of hard stories that there's little things that you can do to help he the healing process. I have a client of mine who's become a really good friend who um, suffered for a long time in her life, um, many, many years from childhood, well into adulthood with an eating disorder. And it just wrecked her life, as you can imagine, when you suffer for that, from that long. And she shared with me a letter. This was when we were doing a lot of work together on her story, obviously. Um, and she shared with me a letter that she wrote to bulimia, man, I, I really noticed a, a change in her and kind of like a turning of a corner 
uh, of when she was able to get those words out and sort of release bulimia and say, thank you, but I no longer need you in my life anymore. And she was, I mean, really, it did turn a healing corner for her. And also it was just incredibly powerful to witness. Um, I will never forget that. But I, I love that you mentioned that because, and that's what I really believe about storytelling. My fundamental belief about stories is that they absolutely are healing. As I said before, they can help us connect. They can help us create conversation. They can help, you know, bridge the gap from, you know, uh, our history and things of that nature. But ultimately, it's like through our words and through the processing of stories, we can begin to make sense of things and we can also begin to heal um, old wounds. When you own a story, because before when we have things that happen in our lives that we're not proud of, like your moment at the 7-Eleven, um, or we have things that happen to us that are very damaging and hurtful, we can choose to let that story have power over us, right? And like, that's the end of story. Nothing else happens. Or we can say, yeah, and then this happened. And then I did this, right? Because it's not the end of the story. The trauma, the the heartache, the mean things is not the end of the story. You have to do dot, dot, dot. And then this happened. And when you get to the, and then this happened, or, or then I did this version of that story, that's where you're going to find the healing. Yeah. Oh, I love all that so much. Yeah. Girl, we could talk about this stuff all day I know long. It. <laughs> I know it. I know it. You know. I mean, I don't know. The podcast listeners are probably like tuned out by now. Like, oh my gosh, they've gone forever. But, you know, I hope, I, I know Marie and I both hope, and this was our intention in in doing this podcast together was just to really, you know, get more of you thinking of the power of your story and to find ways to document those stories. Um, and Marie, do you, you have something that we can share with them that they could download or like, a like a list? It's a free video. It's called the tiny story power hour. And so you go to dangerouslygoodstories.com forward slash power, and it should pop right up. And once in, you just, you put in your email address and then you can watch it instantly and there is a little download PDF to go with it to help you follow along. But I go through several different questions. It's kind of, it's an hour long power hour. And the first 20 minutes is dedicated to helping you unearth some of your stories. The second 20 minutes goes through my five part practice, which is really about repurposing those stories. And it's helping you look at how you could use those stories and then the last 10 minutes is of you like creating a little action plan. So you'll have a few things that you can go run and do with your stories that are meaningful. Maybe it is to heal a story or like this little, I know you can't see it, but there's a thermometer behind me. It, it's like an analog little thing that tells the temperature of outside. I bought that because my parents have one of these at the family cabin. So when I look at it, it, it reminds me of that. That's why there's deer in it. I'm not a hunter. I'm not into all that kind of decor, but that is reminds me of the family cabin and I'm in my cabin. So I want you to be able to like use these stories to find ways to add meaningfulness to your life, to celebrate those stories, savor the ones that are still happening, 
and take those first steps into healing if you if you have a story you need to heal from. Ah, beautiful. We're going to link that up, that the link where you can go directly to um, get that power hour of stories. And thank you for sharing that. And definitely I'm going to share your Instagram handle at Dangerously Good Stories so that others can follow along. And, you know, we'll have to do this again because the intention is always to get people to really dive deeper into their story because there's just so much magic there. Storytelling is a magical thing. And um, I'm so glad that you could join me today to do this, to do this yes, chat. Thank you and, for having me. Ah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, everyone. Thanks for being with us today. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. If you have not yet, if this is your first time listening, thanks for being here. I hope you come back again and again and definitely leave a review. If you found this helpful and share this out with your friends, we will be back with another episode of the inside story next week. We'll talk to you then. See ya. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to give it a review and share this broadcast out with your friends and family. Now, did listening to this episode make you think more about your own story? Are you wondering which parts of your own story are relevant to share with others? This is the question I get asked more than any other. How do I share my story? Which parts of my story are worth sharing with other people? How can I make my story relatable so that others can benefit from it? I've taken my simple process that I've used for years as a journalist and broken it down into a three-part storytelling formula that will help you discover the key components of your own story and how to share it. It's a free resource I've created to help you become a light beamer by sharing your story. Simply go to www.lightbeamers.com and click on the big yellow button on the homepage to download your story formula. I'd love to hear your story too. So be sure to join my free community on Facebook, the Light Beamers community, and share your story with me. I can't wait to learn more about you and the story that's inside of you. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you can get notified when our next broadcast is live. You will want to stay tuned to the stories we are lining up for you next. I promise they are so good. As always, Light Beamers, I'm over here cheering for you. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.